This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, an award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I am senior writer Joanna Robinson, and I am joined on this special early Oscar podcast by Richard Lawson. Hello, Richard. Hello. Our chief critic, I don't want to forget your title, and our digital director, Mike Hogan. Hello, Mike. Hey, guys. Happy nominations morning. Happy crazy nominations morning. This is a, this is the craziest nomination morning I've ever been a part of. How do you feel, Richard? Yeah, I would say craziest of all is that I finally get the jokes that um, the nominations presenters always make about it being early because I'm in Los Angeles and boy, it's early. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching that thinking, doesn't everybody in LA wake up really early? I guess not. Uh, not Kumail. He was. He had a lot of jokes about it. I'm staying with my sister, and I'm like, you know, like half a half awake like struggling to write a snubs and surprises post and she's just like up and like ready to go to the gym <laughs> just right? like having a very normal morning <laughs> she's already been up and down runyon canyon twice <laughs> yeah totally yeah um well welcome to my early early morning podcast life richard um on the way yeah I, I now feel your pain <laughs> Um, I guess, I mean, we're, we're going to talk about a whole range of things, but do we want to start maybe all saying our number one surprise, whether good or bad? Um, Mike, do you have one? I think my, my number one surprise is that both Yelitsa Aparicio and Marina de Tavera uh, of Roma both got acting nominations, uh, and I did not expect that to happen. I was hoping that would happen. I was very, very pleasantly surprised. Um, and so I think that's great. And my snub surprise is Bradley Cooper not getting director. I think that that's really, that's pretty wild. And, uh, and also not getting editing. So that really kind of feels like unless there's some kind of backlash to the nominations that that feels like it kind of takes a star is born more off the table than i would have anticipated at this moment for for best picture the editing thing is interesting too because roma didn't get in there either but i think that roma's surprise acting nominations i mean yulisa was less of a surprise but marina did very getting in there that's a big deal so i think that like that kind of cushions the blow of not getting the editing nomination whereas mike i think you're right that star is born not getting an editing or director i think that movie beyond maybe best song is done well and it's just tough to win without i mean editing we think of as a precursor but like it's really tough to win best picture without a directing nomination unless you're going to go for some, like a Ben Affleck Argo thing you know where you're sort of saying like what was me and everybody agrees which i don't think is going to be available to this film in this very stacked year 
Can you guys tell our listeners who maybe this is their first award season, they've been super dialed in, why editing feels like such a precursor for Best Picture? Well, it just, I mean, it bears out in terms of like past, you know, winner to nomination kind of ratios. But I think that like in a in a more broader, maybe cruder sense, people don't always necessarily know what editing is. So <laughs> the idea is that like, well, sure, if I love that movie and I think it's the best picture of the year, I guess it was also the best edited. Like, that's kind of the conventional wisdom. Obviously, there are editors in the Academy who, like, know exactly what they're looking at. And that's why certain things get nominated and others don't. But, um, it, yeah, in the kind of, like, easiest sense, it's just that, like, those two categories, more than any other, especially more than director in recent years where we've seen a lot of best directors um, who didn't also, you know, didn't direct the best picture winner, um, editing seems kind of yoked to a best picture win. Obviously, there's been divergence from that um, in the past, but yeah, it does seem significant that something like Roma doesn't get in there, that Star is Born doesn't, and Bohemian Rhapsody does. Also, if you think about it, like the director... I mean, obviously, the director has final cut in 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 many of these cases, right? But the director goes out and manages the set and shoots the whole thing. And then, really, the editor kind of goes into a room and assembles the movie based on all that stuff. And so, those are sort of the two key things to making a film excellent. Like, it's shot well, and then it's assembled well. Um, obviously, you know, it, need, it needs a great screenplay, but we all know that, that people go off of screenplays. Like, what's the screenplay that's written, you know, writers don't have the kind of power they have in TV. The screenplay is like a beginning point. Um, so, the editor sort of makes the movie in many ways based on the available ingredients. And so, I do think it's... It's, it is very tightly connected to the question of whether a film works and is excellent. Uh, Richard, do you have like a, a particular snub or surprise that you want to highlight? I was very surprised to see Minding the Gap and Hale County this morning, this evening in the best documentary category. So I guess that what that also means is that the snub was uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor, the Mr. Rogers documentary that made $22 million this summer was a kind of feel-good hit in a very non-feel-good time. I thought if that got nominated, I thought it was for sure going to win. And so for that not to be in there and a tiny movie like Minding the Gap, which, you know, played theatrically a little bit, but was mostly just on Hulu. It's made by this young guy about himself and his friends from, you know, a a small city in Illinois. Like, that's a huge thing for that movie. So I was pleasantly surprised by that. I wasn't a huge fan of Won't You You Be My Neighbor, so I don't feel, like, burned by that. But I think that, like, a lot of people do. And uh, Wait, I feel burned. So why why weren't you a fan? Maybe you can help me, because I'm feeling that that the documentary branch is just perverse at the moment. Maybe you can talk me off this ledge. My sort of pretentious posture about about that is... I think that Won't You Be My Neighbor is an example of the subject of a documentary being great, but the filmmaking not being great. And I think that there's nothing that revolutionary about the way that movie is put together. I think it kind of rambles and it doesn't really, um, it, it kind of touches on a couple little moments of darkness that doesn't really investigate. So I, I kind of wanted more from that movie. I, I don't, I'm obviously like a child of Fred Rogers. Like I love Mr. Rogers, but, um, and I, and I, and I cried watching the movie, but I think that in terms of filmmaking on a pure technical level, I don't think it was there. And something like Mining the Gap, which is a bit more, not experimental exactly, but, um, it does things in a, in a different way. Uh, I'm glad that that was recognized. And then what about Three Identical Strangers was another big one. 
Do you think it had the same issue? Yeah, again, I would say for me, anyway, that's a documentary that has a fascinating subject. Uh, and I won't spoil anything uh, for people who haven't seen it, but uh, it was, is, is very straightforwardly made, is not really doing anything new with the form. Um, and, you know, but you you do have a traditional documentary in the list in, 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 in the, in the uh, shape of RBG, which uh, the Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentary, which I feel like is now the front runner to win. Interesting. I'm still, I'm putting my chips on Minding the Gap and I don't know why, but it just feels like it's had unexpected momentum. I know we like, we're fans of the, of the film, but um, anyway, we'll, we'll get to our like predictions uh, at another time. I will say for my own personal sort of like snub and surprise or whatever is, um, though we knew it was probably going to happen. I'm burned to see Nick Vallelonga in the screenwriting category over Bo Burnham who is just, you know, those those two injustices together for my, like, major injustice, if that makes any sense. Um, and then uh, Pavel Pavlovsky, Kowski, nope, um, I, I flubbed that. But anyway, the Cold War director uh, in, in the directing category makes me really happy and excited. That that feels like um, just something, you know, as, as sad as I am to see Bradley Cooper snubbed there, which I am, um, I'm excited to see Pavel in there because I think that that's an extraordinary film. And How wild is that? It's really wild to have it's this great. language film in there. I think, yeah, and I think that's the kind of surprise that I get really excited about. And same with Marina's nomination. It's sort of like, oh, these are people that like genuinely did such great work, and they're in here, and I didn't see it coming. So, well, and fantastic. And- it's funny for our Vanity Fair um, nomination predictions. I put Cold War in as the ninth um, Best Picture nominee, and it didn't it didn't turn up there, but it did turn up in director. So I was definitely seeing some momentum for it, and it ended up breaking a different way. But that was that was a pretty cool um, entry there, and and exciting for a film. And by the way, I don't know if you noticed that in cinematography. There are three foreign language movies uh, of the five, Cold War, Roma, and Never Look Away. Um, so uh, it's pretty, you know, and, and then even the favorite has a kind of a foreign appeal. Uh, it's very sort of English, Greek um, in its sensibility. So that leaves A Star is Born as the big sort of flag-waving Americana movie there. I don't know if that's good or bad for A Star is Born. Well, I think the thing to note about both Pavel Pavlikowski getting nominated for Cold War and... Um, uh, Caleb De- De- Deschanel being nominated for the cinematography for Never Look Away is that those movies both are directed by past foreign language film winners. Florian von Henkel Don- Florian von Henkel Don- Donnersmark. I you know he has a crazy name, but he 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 won for uh, the Lives of Others years ago. Uh, Pavel Pavlikowski won for Ida back in 2012 ish, I think. Um, so like they're they're not strangers to the Oscars, but I think it is. Interesting and, and and maybe heartening that those movies did um, linger in the minds of Academy voters in a year where they had a lot of other you know more maybe more quote unquote traditional options that they could go for for best director and for best cinematography. I think the cinematography movie that people think was perhaps most blanked was First Man, a movie that did not do that well this morning. That people thought would at least you know rack up some nominations in the in the technical categories it got a couple here and there but um the cinematography one was i think a big uh loss for that movie my big uh grudge uh circling first man this morning is score like the snub for score for justin Horowitz is like uh you know really innovative and and like attention grabbing but not distracting i think score uh that really bumps me out though 
I said this already on Twitter. I love, you know, Isle of Dogs was sort of like plagued by controversy from the start, but I love the Taiko drum score on Isle of Dogs. It's an incredible thing to listen to. So if you want to get like your blood pumping this morning or this afternoon, turn on the Isle of Dogs soundtrack. I'm going to go to Runyon Canyon and and listen to the Isle of Dogs score. Um, One thing that I was um, surprised by also um, speaking of, not well, not score, but song and something that our, my editor and your editor, Joanna, Hillary Buse has pointed out to me is that not only did Netflix have a big coup in terms of Roma getting as many nominations as it did, but the Ballad of Buster Scruggs got three nominations uh, for costume design, for best original song, and for best adapted screenplay. I don't. I think a lot of people didn't realize that that was adapted from short stories that the Coens wrote, and I think there's a Jack London story in there. Um, but that to me indicates that, and I know Mudbound got a cinematography nomination last year and a supporting actress nomination. So there are, you know, Netflix has been in the in the in the mix before a little bit. But the Roma combination of Roma and Scruggs getting in there, that to me thinks makes me feel like the the wall between those things has eroded, you know, almost completely because to nominate Scruggs in a, in a category so far down the line, so to speak, as costume design means that people are really paying attention to Netflix films and even ones that are not big sensations like Roma. So I think that's kind of an interesting precedent that was set. Well, it also means that the Netflix strategy, which is let's um, offer certain award season favorite uh, filmmakers, you know, complete creative control and a, you know, a huge massive budget and let them do whatever they want. And like, it's, it's just hard to ignore a Coen Brothers joint. Not that it's never happened, but it's hard to ignore a Coen Brothers joint. It's hard to ignore an Alfonso Cuaron joint. There are also like great and interesting things about the the projects that they made, but it's also just like their history with the Academy means that, you know, that's why Netflix is backing them, right? Yeah, well, and to your point about budget, like in this case, it's, what is it, five or six short films that all have to have their own cast their own sets their own you know it's like this thing could not have been cheap but people really liked it you know in addition to critics i think like nor you know actual humans watched it on netflix and really enjoyed it um and uh and it's good that's it's so funny that that song that tim blake nelson sings at the end of his little segment is uh is nominated but i'm i can get behind that i'm for it i would love to see him perform it at the oscars the host i hope he will oscars. maybe that should kick off the whole thing yeah <laughs> He'll be the Justin Tim Blake Nelson is the Justin Timberlake of this particular Oscar ceremony. And Joanna, you were using the uh, uh, you know Alfonso Cuarón joint Coen Brothers joint construction, which of course was invented by um, Spike Lee, who got his first director nomination um, today, which is like feels like a huge deal. Uh, and you know, we you know I I think that Mike, you you were early on this, and I think you're right that Cuarón is definitely the one to beat and he probably almost assuredly will win. But I would say of the five nominated in best director, which is Quran, Spike Lee, Yorgos Lanthimos for the favorite, Pavel Pavlikowski for Cold War and Adam McKay for Vice, that Spike Lee would be number two. Look, this is, you know what you're going to hear, I think, because uh, they're talking about it internally already. There has never been a black best director winner. And so I think you can certainly make the case for Alfonso Cuaron um, for the just sheer achievement of Roma. And but I think you can make a case for Spike Lee for the achievement of Black Klansman plus a career that has been, I think, you know, a, a overlooked in certain ways by the Academy and really as a historic award. So I don't think we've we've started even thinking about that yet. 
And, you know, it could easily also not happen for a million reasons. But I think that Spike should absolutely not be counted out. I think he has a real chance in that category. Yeah. And I think also, you know, something that people have noted with some frustration uh, today is that the best directing category is all men, despite some, you know, very worthy female directors in Deborah Granick for Leave No Trace or Marielle Heller for Can You Ever Forgive Me, that giving the award to Spike Lee, you know, Quran already has one, would sort of at least maybe cushion that injustice some because it would kind of right another wrong. So I don't know. Again, I think that we think about these things differently than, you know, your average Academy member. But um, I could see that narrative sort of coalescing. I, I yeah. think they're going to make a run at it. And, and you know, it's interesting that Peter Farrelly did not come in, in in director. It's interesting that Bradley Cooper did not come in in director or editing. Chris Rosen, uh, our, our friend who is now the editor at TV Guide, but a famed Oscar prognosticator who also sometimes has crazy ideas. But today he was saying, wait a minute, is Black Klansman actually the the best picture frontrunner? I mean, it's very unclear who the best picture frontrunner is right now. And that's what's crazy about today. Yeah. I mean, Roma and the favorite lead with 10, but Roma, you know, did not, all of them kind of missed some things except for Black Klansman has, has all the nominations you're supposed to have. So it's, it's, it's very interesting and, and sort of wonderfully open, I think. Today is the 22nd. As of the 20th, just two days ago, the, the narrative from all the Oscar prognosticators after the Producers Guild Awards was that Green Book was it. Like, this was it. Right. Start, yes. Get used to it. Do what, get, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Start we're processing here, it. <laughs> we're here. We're Green Book. Get used to it. Like Settle you your know. affairs. <laughs> um, but then that just feels upended by a lot of the unpredictability this year. And maybe what we're seeing with some of these unpredictable, you know, I was surprised to see Willem Dafoe in there. I was surprised to see Marina in there and like Pavel, like all these other things. So maybe some of these surprises could be the result of the influx of new people in the Academy where we just don't know how this body votes quite yet. Yeah, you know, I think we, so. We, we're st- we're still operating with some of the old rule books, and we're not always fully able to see what this new blood in the academy will do. Yeah, and I don't know that that the other. Um, I don't know for sure, but my sense is that the kind of guilds have not necessarily updated their memberships as aggressively as the academy has, which which does open up some space there. Um, so it's interesting, and also I I enjoy I really do enjoy a nominations morning like this one where a bunch of stuff that we didn't anticipate happens, and you can almost feel the academy members insisting that you know certain they're not going to be pushed in a certain direction they're going to they really want people to watch some smaller movies that maybe they haven't seen they really like a performance by a Willem Dafoe that nobody's talking about and they're going to use the power that they have to kind of like get you know get more attention for it and I think that's fun that's why they actually you know it's like they used to joke about um my dad used to joke about watching World Series games like that's why they play the games you really you never know what's going to happen until it actually happens yeah and I'll be curious to see in terms terms of like Roma's potential for, you know, best picture, it also has the nomination in foreign language. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious if maybe voters will think, oh, we'll give it to it there. We'll give it some other technical things. And then best picture might be a sort of different animal. Um, Mike, you're right. It is, it is. And, and Joanna, you said it too, but like, it is fun that it's kind of wide open. And while there are certain movies, <laughs> Vice and, and other things that I'm like a little bit annoyed to see in, in, you know, so represented, I think, for the most part, there's a lot of exciting stuff that like is worth kind of celebrating, even if, you know, some cherished favorites 
are not in there, uh, like, you know, burning for some people or can you ever forgive me for best picture or something like that? I've assumed all along that the non-Roma contenders were going to be arguing strenuously that you can just give it foreign language and maybe give it director if you if you feel that strongly about it. But there's no need for it to win all three and that they need to start, you know, consider the other the other movies. So I, it'll be interesting. That, I mean, it's just such a strong show. It's a stronger showing than we expected. I think I, I did not expect 10 nominations. That's really that's like quite substantial. And the favorite. How about the favorite being in there with 10 nominations? I I, I did not expect it to be. It, it feels it, when we did the nomination predictions, I did not have the favorite as one of the movies that could actually win Best Picture. But now it feels like it absolutely could win Best Picture. Just as well. It could be one of those ones that gets a ton of, no- ton of nominations and wins nothing. You know, yeah, yeah. right. Like it feels True. like on that weird really fault does. line. Yeah. Shout out to the costume designer on Mary Queen of Scots for getting nominated for making most of our costumes out of denims, which is like the craziest costume story I heard all year. Uh, most of those period gowns in Mary Queen of Scots are made out of jeans material, which is just amazing if you look at it. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad something like so weird and audacious got nominated, even if I, it has no shot of winning, I think, against, I don't know, like Ruth Carter for Black Panther or something like that. Yeah, that's fun. I mean, like, there are a lot of like crazy things. Like, you know, we, we've been talking for about 30 minutes now and not mention the fact that Lady Gaga is now a Best Actress nominee at the Oscars. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> you know, think about all the actors who've never gotten that, and and on her first shot, you know, she she gets in there. I think that, you know, her her status in that category is weakened as lo- along with everything else to, uh, of A Star is Born. But, um, but, you know, this was, I think, the ultimate goal in some ways for her to get in that shortlist, and, and there she is, and I think that's exciting. And I think that means we're near, I mean, and, and the song nomination, obviously, she's, a two-time nominated Oscar nominated person that guarantees that she'll perform it at the show, right? She has to now. I think so. Absolutely. I hope she and Bradley are going to perform it, right? Uh, I don't know. Maybe this is a fruitless thing to guess right now, but like, how do you think Bradley Cooper is feeling this morning? I think he's annoyed because somebody said, you know, he was really campaigning for director, not actor. So I think, you know, I mean, look, I, I don't know how annoyed you can be when you just got a bunch of Oscar nominations, including best, um, best picture and best actor for yourself. But I think that he was gunning for that. And there was a, there was a time when a lot of us thought that he would be, um, you know, the likeliest winner for best director. So, so it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. It's so interesting because we've talked all along about how Bradley Cooper was sort of uh, willing and unwilling to play the Oscar game, you know, in terms of like the kind of interviews that he was giving. And it does seem, yeah, that maybe he was, leaning heavier on his directing possibilities than his acting possibilities. But, um, and I was, I was team, I was team Brad. So I'm, I'm, I'm sad to not see him in that directing category. And I don't, you know, he doesn't really seem like he has a shot in the acting category. So if a star is born, gets all the hoopla and walks away with exactly the word I expected it would, when I announced Lady Gaga's casting on VF.com years ago, which is like best song. And that's it. I mean, that's going to be kind of an amazing roller coaster of, of a narrative. Bradley Cooper, you know, yes, his chances are, are dimmer than they were already. You know, they were already kind of like, like we're losing out to Christian Bale. But, you know, we've got a few weeks now. If Bradley Cooper goes to every goddamn event and performs a song or like just is in character as Jackson Maine, like and wins over, like I feel like I feel like he could do a kind of blitzkrieg and, and, and sort of 
scoot past Christian Bale somehow. I don't. I don't think he he's down for the count yet. But uh, yeah, it's it, it it'll be a tough road to to haul certainly. He would be second place after Christian Bale, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, and I think I think it is overtakeable. Um, just because Christian Bale, you know, has won before, and and if this ends up being like the way of celebrating Bradley's accomplishment overall in taking on this project and making it work really better than probably anybody had a right to expect that might help him. I mean, there's a, there's a way of looking at this where missing director helps him with actor because actor becomes the way of acknowledging the, the achievement. I know um, it was expected that it was going to happen, but you know, it has been expected for a while, but we haven't talked yet about how, I don't know, crazy or whatever you want to call it. It is that a Marvel superhero movie is in the best picture category, like straight up best picture Black Panther. There it is. Um, which is, you know, hasn't felt crazy since last February, but maybe would have felt crazy last January, you know, like that, you know, the Netflix narrative is one thing, but the Marvel narrative uh, is another that we should talk about. Yeah. And it's not just, you know, this kind of errant best picture nomination because people felt like it was the movie of the year and they had to do it it got production design it got costume design it got original song like it, it's 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 in the hunt i mean like it's it's there in a big way um and i think that i don't think that you know i doubt that anyone at marvel is like well now we're you know we're, we're in we, we've you know we've achieved this sort of new class distinction and we're, we're we're now like best picture worthy i think that black panther is sort of um a thing unto itself in, in a lot of ways. I don't think that superhero movies are now can expect to be at the table all, all the time. But like, yeah, I think that we've just been saying it for so long that maybe we've forgotten a little bit, like actually how significant that is, um, you know, for a variety of reasons. And, um, you know, I'm, 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 if you had told me a couple of years ago that I would be happy that a superhero movie was nominated for Best Picture, I would have, I don't know, slapped you or something. But I, here I am, and I think it's a, I am happy. I think it's a good thing. I'm happy that two are nominated because Into the Spider Verse is my like of know, course, number yeah. one with a bullet and animated. So like this is, and and is the front runner to beat a Pixar movie and a Disney Animation Studio movie. So like that's that's a crazy cool thing uh, that's happening as well for these for these superheroes, not just superheroes, but superheroes of color. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's an interesting, it's an interesting turn for all of that. Yeah. And I think something I'm maybe a little bit less happy about, though, you know, it's a, it's a complicated thing is it has, you know, a sound editing nomination, a sound mixing nomination, a best actor nomination, a best editing nomination, and a best picture nomination. Uh, I'm talking about Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, and you know, all of that and its director is mysteriously not involved in that conversation. He has not been, you know, named when Rami Malek has won awards, you know, um, I think that that is going to kind of, um, in an already sort of haunted, uh, Oscar year where we're not haunted, but sort of like plagued, um, season, like that's going to be a sort of narrative. I think that is going to keep rolling along about like the, the problematic aspects of that film and it's director and all that stuff. So I, 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 I guess I had sort of naively hoped that we could be done with that conversation because Bohemian Rhapsody would get mostly blanked, but here it is, it, you know, in kind of a big way. So I don't know, get ready to talk about that more, I guess. That and Green Book is like, just sort of like the discourse will roll on until the Oscar ceremony itself and after, depending on like, you know, uh, would you be gratified, Richard, if like, okay, these nominees came in, but Bohemian Rhapsody doesn't actually like walk away with anything. 
um, when it's all said and done. I think the thing about Bohemian Rhapsody, you know, the Brian Singer aspect aside, we, you know, we've said it before on this podcast a billion times. It made a ton of money. Everyone loves Queen and people seem to really love Rami Malek. So like, I guess it's not that surprising that that movie as big of a hit as it was, um, you know, the Academy kind of threw their weight behind, but it does seem strange and sort of telling that even they know enough not to sort of acknowledge its director, you know, so it's 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 the kind of question that we've 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 been dealing with for years now um, about like how do you talk about or recognize a movie that is good in certain ways, but its makers are bad or someone in it is bad, and it's it's a really hard um, line to tread. And I think that the Academy is obviously still figuring it out, um, and clearly they thought that enough of Bohemian Rhapsody was worth honoring. Um, and so they did. I don't, maybe, maybe that'll change in years to come, but um, that's where we are. And Green Book, I think, is a little bit more impervious to the controversy uh, for a variety of, I don't know, vaguely depressing reasons. Does it matter that Peter Farrelly was not nominated in the directing category? I think that's honestly more just about a crowded year. That does not, to me, feel like any sort of like statement, no. It's very interesting, both of these movies, and and I talk maybe too much on this uh, podcast about this kind of like progressive generation gap. But I find it very interesting that both of them are ostensibly trying to promote um, progressive, you know, ish narratives, at least right. One's about like be less racist or whatever. And the other one's about here is an iconic um, gay, but in a complicated way, um, hero of culture. Um, but the way that they execute it has kind of, er- or, or, or the people involved and, and, and various other factors have so that there's a, have made it so that there's a one younger generation that's like, that like hates them, you know? And I think that some of that is probably not even visible to the older generation and some of it, the older generation finds irritating, but I think it's divisive enough that there's not, there's not enough consensus to push them in all the way through to something like best director. So it does make me think they've got enough support to, from the kind of older crowd of people who are like, stop complaining to get nominations. But I don't, I, I I'm now thinking that like, I, I really wonder if green book could win, could win best picture given that there is a crowd of people you know, at the end of the day, we're talking about Hollywood, which is a progressive place. And there is a sector of that group as as sort of as much as like film Twitter or woke Twitter can feel like a completely impotent force sometimes. Like there's enough people where I, I would be surprised if it came through and won. But who knows? There's also a lot of vote splitting this year. It's really I mean, there's just a lot of damn movies. Um, another thing that I was sad to see blanked in a few categories is Barry Jenkins of Beale Street could talk. Uh, we talked a little bit, I think, last week about the narrative around the narrative. We talked a little bit last week, I think, about the narrative around Damien Giselle and Barry and Barry Jenkins having their you know first films after La La Land and Moonlight were so close, and then what was happening in the race this year. Uh, Mike, what do you think of how Beale Street was uh, awarded or not this morning? I, I think, um, look, I'm really happy to see Regina King in there. Um, and I think it's great that it got screenplay and the score is is very, very worthy. Um, you know, I, I think like I expect Barry Jenkins to get nominated in, uh, for many Oscars in the years ahead and probably win. Um, I think this movie was, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I found it moving, but it's not... 
like Moonlight was like a spectacular explosion of creativity that that just blew your mind. And Beale Street is is something different. You know, it's a it's a James Baldwin adaptation that's a little that kind of makes you come to it. Um, and so I'm not I'm not shocked at the outcome. I'm 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 just glad really that Regina King is in there and and hopefully still in the kind of front runner spot there. Um, First Man is is in a way sort of more surprising because I think it was a bigger swing in some ways, just like it was it set out to be an epic, um, but also a kind of introverted clenched epic. And that's a tough thing to pull off. And, and you know, I don't think it landed with a lot of people. Um, but I think both those guys will will do lots of great Academy uh, recognized work uh, in the years ahead. I'm not worried about either of them. Yeah, it's interesting because I saw someone tweet about um, the kind of like Telluride factor and like suggesting that maybe if Beale Street had been at Telluride, it would have done better because it would have been a smaller and like really industry heavy audience that could have fallen in love with that movie early, whereas it maybe got a little lost in Toronto. Um, and I think that there's maybe something to that. But at the same time, you bring up First Man, Mike, and 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 that movie was at Telluride and it d- didn't really, you know, perform that well this morning. So, so I don't know if that actually means anything. I don't know if the Toronto thing for Beale Street was a mistake or if it should have played its cards differently. But I think that it's more, you know, kind of like we said, Mike, it's just, it's just, it's not, um, it, it doesn't have the kind of seismic quality of Moonlight, um, Partly because it was less of a surprise, because we all now know who Barry Jenkins is, and you know, have you know, all of a sudden have a kind of level of expectation for what he's able to do. Um, but you know, I think it will win something on you know the Oscar night. I think that Regina King will win that award, um, so it will be represented where a lot of films like maybe like The Favorite won't be at all. So it'll at least have that. I think it's good that somebody like Barry Jenkins, after executing like you know the most spectacular triple Lindy sort of you know dive with Moonlight can make a more straightforward film and everyone can watch it and talk about it, whether or not, whether or not it lands, you know, a million nominations. Like he made a beautiful, excellent film that deserves to be watched. And like, and, 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 um, and it's cool that he doesn't have to, not everything he does has to be some kind of like awards bait thing either. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, if you end up on Cam Collins's top 10 list, like for, you're, you're, you've done well. You yeah. Know? <laughs> like, right. Yeah. 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 But it's funny about the festivals. I mean, I do. I could actually weirdly imagine First Man doing better if it debuted at Toronto, and Beale Street doing better if it if it debuted at Telluride. But that is a lot of sort of, I guess, ex post facto second guessing. So, what are you going to do? But that's what what this podcast is all about. True. <laughs> what else? What would we do the whole time? Uh, is there anything that feels um, like you're so confident about? Um, after the nominations this morning, that there that that you would you would bet your entire life savings, however large or small they may be, on on this thing winning. Well, I don't know about it winning, but I think that the fact that Solo, a Star Wars story, was nominated for Best Visual Effects, is the beginning of people reconsidering that unfairly maligned movie, which is totally cute and fun, and people hate it, uh, and it didn't do very well. But uh, I think that this is the beginning of the Solo redemption arc, and I'm here for it. Over Black Panther, it's so weird. And Christopher Robin, also, that, that category is... Also, a great movie, and that the, the voice actor behind Winnie the Pooh should have been nominated for an Oscar, but, you know, but, oh well. Oh well, Justice for Cartoon Bears this year. Uh, Mike, what are you going to bet your life savings on? Richard sidestepped the, the, the betting here. I would bet my life savings... There's not a lot, I gotta tell you. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm climbing down. I would bet my life savings on... on um, 
shallow winning song. Yeah, sure. I would do it for uh, Into the Spider-Verse winning animated feature. Yeah. And the other one that feels life savings worthy is Roma in foreign language. There you go. But not a lot. Most of them are co- kind of competitive. I mean, I could see Bradley taking on Christian Bale. I could see. You don't think Rami is a second? <laughs> like, not your opinion. I mean, Oscar chances wise, you don't think Rami is a second place in that I category? Mean, am I just blind? Am I? A, am I? I don't know. I, I don't see it. When I look at the performance. For the math of the award season, not from anywhere. Uh, well, I mean, I think I've overestimated A Star is Born a, a bit from the beginning. So, and, and a lot of us, I guess, uh, underestimated Bohemian Rhapsody. So may, maybe so. Looking at the, at the Best Actor nominations, though, are, any, are either of you also wishing that Willem Dafoe would play Freddie Mercury in a movie and Rami Malek would play Vince Van Gogh? I would, I would watch those movies. Not a bad idea. On the Willem Dafoe beat, I like his nomination also, even though I shouldn't have been that surprised, Sam Rockwell's nomination for Vice, like makes me wonder, the Emmys do this all the time and maybe the Oscars are going to start doing this where it's like, oh, they got nominated last year, so sure, put them in this year? I don't know. Like, I think there's a little of that. I think with Willem Dafoe, though, I mean, he did, you know, he won Best Actor in Venice. So he's, he's like had that like early feather in his cap for that performance for a movie that I think very few people have seen. I'm sure you're right, Joanna, because because let's remember what happens during Oscar season. These people go around and shake hands with and do small talk with every single Academy member that their, you know, publicists can can dig up. So, yeah, when the next year rolls around and they're like, oh, my both of those guys are awesome, really cool people to talk to, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that has this, these are human beings casting votes. I mean, I, I just the Sam Rockwell for, you know, an impression that w- that is like eye catching in the trailer, but amounts to like nothing in a in the in the like sea of what is this that is vice is just. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know who I'm who I'm mad is left out of that category, but I am a little mad that Sam Rockwell's in that category. And I like Sam Rockwell. Yeah. Well, we've talked in previously about liberal Doritos, and that, that was, I think, the thing that prompted it is I feel certain that there is a fascinating something to be done with George W. Bush, um, both kind of testing our assumptions and also really, like, digging into just how dark you know the legacy of that presidency is which i don't think you know was what he was aiming for but uh, this was this was not that this was like such a surface like it was a great fun impression yeah such it was a service performance you know, and we've seen like Sam can go, yeah yeah exactly I think that something to note, though, is that both in support, uh, supporting actor and best actor, four of the five nominate nominees in each category played real people. And I think that's like, you know, A Star is Born for Sam Elliott and for Bradley Cooper. Those are made up people, I, I think, anyway. Um, but like, I think that the, the Academy really responds to that, too. And so I think that like whether or not we think that Rockwell's level of like, I don't know, embodiment uh, was up to the up to snuff. Um, just the kind of I think that they just like when people just play real people, even if they're old people that they never knew, like Van Vincent Van Gogh. Like it just seems to kind of hold a certain weight for Academy voters, especially in, in the male category, the acting categories. Isn't Bradley Cooper in A Star Is Born playing Oscar-nominated actor Sam Elliott? That's what I thought he was doing. Oh, you're right. Yep, <laughs> yep. With a little Chris Christopherson uh, added in for seasoning. There you go. 
Yeah, and I mean, that's true, of course, of like all the actresses in The Favorite, uh, Melissa McCarthy and Can You Ever Forgive Me? You know, like it's in the it's in the actress side too, Amy Adams, et cetera. So uh, you're right. that that And that to me feels like an old Oscar voting rule. You know what I mean? It's like if you do a biopic, a meaty biopic, you're obviously mm-hmm. going to get nominated. That to me, if you asked me yesterday, would be a stale assessment of how Oscar nominations are handed out, but the evidence uh, says it's still a thing. So, well, yeah. if you're grading performances, one of the easy ways, I guess, to grade it is to compare it to the actual person, right? It's just like, it sort of makes it a little easier to sort of, since we're in a competitive environment here. I don't know. Yeah, it goes from essay question to true-false test, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Well, is there anything else we want to say before we wrap up this this very special uh, early morning <laughs> for Richard? I'm just happy that we kind of now know we have our players on the board and uh, we can then start moving them around. I think it's been a weird year and um, I don't want to say I'm happy it's almost over, but I'm happy that we've we've <laughs> we've arrived here at least. Well, I'm happy that it's kind of weird. Like, I'm yeah. happy that it doesn't tick all every box that we expected it to tick. And, like, genuinely, Best Picture feels like a question mark. I, I hated the narrative on Saturday that it's not just because it was Green Book, but, like, you know, pack it up. It's Green Book. I'm like, well, how, what are we going to talk about a little gold men for the next few weeks? You know, like, if it's that. So uh, th- those are my feelings. Yeah. It does seem open. I mean, it may, it may gel pretty quickly, but it seems open. I, th- I feel like there are at least strong rivals in, in, most if not all of the acting categories the director race is suddenly super more interesting than i anticipated like there's a lot there's a lot going on here it's this is good i mean you know it's good in the sense of like not being boring i have some other good news um on thursday i'm heading to sundance so i'll have a whole new bag of movies to talk about for next year so let's get the uh will zach efron be nominated for playing ted bundy let's find out Uh, (laughs) tune in next time Uh, yeah All right. Well, um, I have heard here and there from Kitty Rich, and I know that she is still she was still up and paying attention to these nominations. And I know that she'll be back before the Oscars come back. So you guys will hear from her and her all of her first man thoughts, all of her fresh first man thoughts. All right. So until next time, Mike, where can people find you? Mike underscore Hogan. Richard. Or I laws. Uh, you can find all of us on vanityfair.com, including our Insta reactions to these nominations. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. This episode was edited produced by Danielle Roth. For the last time, we're saying goodbye to, to our Thank great you, Danielle. Danielle Roth and wishing her luck on her new uh, endeavor. But uh, yeah, thank you, Danielle. And this week's award for the reason we're going to miss our editor and producer, Danielle Roth, the most goes to Richard Loss. People don't always necessarily know what editing is. I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Hilary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching Podcast. Next up, we're watching the new HBO show, The Regime. Madam Chancellor, let's keep the gloves on. This is not a confrontation. We're just saying what's true. Academy Award winner Kate Winslet is our chancellor as she leads a faux European autocracy in turmoil. We'll be watching week by week as the regime unravels. And we'll be talking to the stars along the way. New episodes of Still Watching will drop every Sunday after the regime airs.